You're listening to Modern Animism Radio. I'm your host, Laura Giles. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm joined by Sherry Calvert and Dwayne Hennessy from Down Under. And we're going to be talking about what it's like to grow up animist. So let's get started by acknowledging the elements and the ancestors. Acknowledge and thank the element of earth for our home, food, our bodies, and all the physical, sensuous, beautiful things that we so often take for granted. Acknowledge and thank the element of air for the opportunity to share ideas and communicate with those across the miles and across the veil. Acknowledge and thank the element of fire for clearing a path for new beginnings. We recently had that Sagittarius moon, full moon eclipse, and that's definitely pushing some fire energy our way and helping us to step into our inner warrior. Acknowledge the element of water and thank you for helping us to go deep into our hidden places and purify what we find there. Acknowledge and thank our loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animal, and mineral kingdoms. And I thank you for all your help that we receive that is both seen and unseen. And as always, I send gratitude to all our listeners. And um, if any of our content inspires you, please consider donating to the program. And you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash Society. You can also show gratitude or give us a high five by liking, commenting, and sharing our posts on social media. Thanks. All right. Welcome, Sherry and Dwayne. Thanks for being here. How are you guys? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing pretty good. A little mixed today. Yeah. <laughs> you got the protests and all going on. Corona. That's right. okay. It's like 5 a.m. over here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for getting up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, um, as you said, we're talking about growing up animus, and all three of us are have that in common. Um, was there anything that made y'all feel different when you were growing up? I think for me, uh, considering like inanimate objects as conscious, sort of, <laughs> was a bit of an issue. So, you know, apologizing to walking into tables and cars and stuff. Well, I don't walk into cars. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It becomes a bit of a, uh, you realize that other people see the world differently. I think they see it mechanically, maybe. It's hard to understand how they see the world, but they see it as a, so, it, yeah, well, you know what it's like, right? So I'm talking to animists, so it's, I don't have to explain it too hard, but the, um, being a, I hate the label. I label myself a vegan animist, animist vegan, they swap around, but vegan animist. So down to the smallest insect, and then you move it on towards the pebbles and then so on, and people are like, yo, but those things aren't conscious and they're not, and you just, so I guess growing up vegan animist, the world is different. And I spend a lot of, a lot more of my time in like my imagination maybe than most people do. Ah, so, okay. Mm. How about you, Sherry? Did, was it weird for you? You know, I didn't notice um, a weirdness because at home, that's how what we did. That's it's yeah. our practice, yeah. and you know, with my sister, my mom, um, my dad, maybe not so much because he grew up differently. Um, but he did um, acknowledge things that we we did as well. But um, I didn't notice it until school, like when you go and your friends are not. Like um, I started school in the U.S. and um, you notice it's very different, like how you act, how you eat, um, what you show reverence for. And then I started to think, huh, either I'm different or they're different. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't really notice a difference actually until I went into like much later um, till I went into animist community mm-hmm. and then I saw everybody doing the same thing. And then it was like, Oh my God, this is so different, you know, because in, in mainstream life, they just, nobody acknowledges anything, mm-hmm. you know, there's no gratitude. There's no, yeah. This would definitely like, uh, it's very much like that here, but I wonder if that's mainstream Western society as opposed to, and not all like, you know, you have Latin American society, which I actually like a lot, which is kind of different. And we're very much a no touch sort of society. Like you yeah. sort of, your hands off man, stand back, you know, yeah. it doesn't have that sense of feeling. Yeah. Uh, animals are seen as utilitarian, yeah. uh, insects are killed, uh, pebbles are kicked. Mountains have holes drilled for them to make roads. And yeah. <laughs> in New Zealand recently, you may have read it, they, um, they gave, uh, it's like human rights to one of their rivers. Yeah. Over there. They got yeah. it doing this. And I think that's the beginning of seeing the world in a different way. And as an animist, you're probably more careful about the world. You, you protect it more than just plunder, plunder it for resources as mm-hmm. they well, it's interesting that you bring that up about New Zealand because I actually don't agree with that. I mean, I get where it's coming from, but I th- to give a river human rights, it's not a human and it doesn't That's need right. human rights and it has to be, they have to be protected by humans. So I, I get the heart of that, but I don't really, I don't think it's speaking to the problem. The problem's not the river. The problem is us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's that- that's this problem with this legal system. Everything yeah. is around is uh, revolving around us, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And I have a major issue with that too. And I think that devalues other sentient beings and beings in our entire universe. You know? yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Like you got to run it by me first. You know, I mean, somebody's yeah, gonna fine. have to have to uh, uphold that law. And if the person who's responsible for that doesn't get it then it doesn't have a whole lot of value. That's right. true. It, the other issue is laws can be repealed. Yeah. You know, and I always find that an interesting thing that people, um, I mean, I work, well, up until this COVID-19, I was working in an office most of the time, okay, with little mill moths floating around everywhere. They just sort of flutter around. And I guess as they get more hungry, they get a bit slower. So they're easier to catch and take outside. But you just sort of, well, what do I do at this point? Do I save the mill moth because its value is as equal to a human as most people wouldn't understand that. It's like, what, it's just a moth, man. It's like, no, it's, a, it's equal, it's life, okay? And if you don't save it, every now and then you'll hear a, a clap. You're like, oh, this automatic response, it just, oh, right? <laughs> so you see me running around the office with this plastic container my friend got me with a lid, trying to catch his mill moth. <laughs> What's interesting about that is that over time, over years, I guess, people will come in and say, hey, you know, on the weekend I saw a cockroach and instead of squashing it, I'm like, like I didn't need that detail, but carry on. Uh, I took it outside and they, I'm like, okay, that's really cool. And people start calling you over to their desk and then it started <laughs> moving on to the plant. So I was very much in the plants in the office and people are like, oh, can you help this plant? And I'm like, you're coming to me like I'm a guru on plants. I'm not. I just grow cactus and stuff. Right? They're easy. <laughs> but 
they started taking these things into consideration. You're not just throwing a plant in the bin because it's getting old because you didn't water it for six Yeah, weeks. yeah. That's how you change the culture, though. Like, you lead yeah. by example, and people will follow along once they start to see the impact that it has. Yeah. That's true. Very much when you think about the uh, children, I guess. Like, I never had children. I just have a nephew who's got kids and so on. And you see that they pick up on these things. They pick up on the stuff you don't say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this, this is where it really needs to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. Well, kids are natural animus anyways. I mean, they, I think they see more than we do, you know? I mean, they're closer to spirit and they have such imaginations that haven't been crushed yet, you know? So I, I really like talking to kids and, and just hearing about their interpretations of stuff because I feel like I can learn from them. Mm-hmm. And they're much more compassionate towards creatures and yeah. things. Out there. And if you notice, like, they name everything. I mean, I, I still do, but, like, they'll name rocks. They'll name, <laughs> you know, so it's, they, they have that genuine animism to yeah, them and that compassion do. for them. Yeah. It's an interesting thing you bring that up because I've got two cars in the garage that are both female and French. So <laughs> and they've got names. So I've got Pearl and I've got Kiki. Both of them, like, nice. <laughs> and, yeah, and, but I've noticed that people will name their cars. I'm like, hey, you gave your car personality. I don't know if it was obviously not in the same thing, like, yeah. animate sense, but there are things that people will name and <laughs> give a personality. I had a hairdresser who had a car called Chester because it was an uh, orange car. It was an old Saab, and it was a male. I'm like, hey, it's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> so females have male cars? <laughs> 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 but... As a kid, yeah, you name a lot of things. I think one of the things you brought up earlier, which I, I never bring up with anyone, is that as a kid, I had uh, like uh, an, a symbolic, I call it symbolic imagery, right? I don't want to call it uh, um, spirit animal, any of that common terminology, because it's not. It's what I grew up with. And it was always this black panther. And you'd be like, okay, so I've got a black panther. And it's kind of interesting. You can sort of call on it for things and so on. As I did, has that got a name other than Panther? I do have another sort of spirit being hanging around as well, who's more human. And I remember years and years ago, I was doing fine art, and I had a girlfriend at the time. And I remember um, going to sleep, and did I ask that this my panther being look over us i'm not sure but i remember she woke up and said hey i had a dream about this black cat i was like wow okay (laughs) (laughs) there's been a few of those events and you're like okay so there's there's obviously more to this than meets the eye there's more to it than what science is trying to find like in science everything has to be mechanical yeah it's beyond that and it's good to get that sort of ratification that something happened yeah other people have experienced this. So yeah, as an early age, I wonder, as animists, did you have any kind of spirit beings uh, appear to yourselves in dreams in your life? Endlessly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's because that just was normal. It's like, don't you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it wasn't. It wasn't something that you would not not talk about. You know, I mean, it's like we were talking about dreams the other day and, you know, you you just share your dreams. It's not like this. Oh, it's just a dream thing. It's like, oh, maybe you got the, you know, a big message from spirit. So share your dream. It was like, you know, more of that. 
because um, mm -hmm. you never know when it's going to be something amazing that needs to be shared. So you would just talk about it openly. And there was always a lot of kids at our house and all of that was just wide open and stuff. And I know looking back now, I mean, it must've been like, wow, those people are crazy. <laughs> but there were so many of us that it just, it just wasn't weird. You know, I think yeah. if I was like an only child, it would have been totally different. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was big into dreams. And so she did it with, a, you know, my sister and I, every morning it was, how'd you sleep? What'd you dream about? And we talked about it. We talked, you know, and it could be wild, crazy. And we talked about it like it was normal, natural, and we broke it down. And I thought, you know, it's funny because I would think everybody would do this. So when I would talk to my dreams and they're like, oh, I had an, or talk to my friends, um, I, they'd be like, oh, I had a nightmare last night. I'm like, oh, what was it? Like, let's dissect it. And they're like, why? Like I was being chased by a murderer. And I was like, well, that could really mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely made relationships different and interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting there's the parent element to that because it's my mother on my side who's uh, more into this kind of thing than, you know, I remember I saw a book on a shelf. So I grew up in England until I was like 14 and we moved to Australia. So I remember this book on a shelf when we were living in England, um, witchcraft, and it was a Gardenian or Gardenian one. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that's all about, you know? And she mentioned that she had um, spirit guides and stuff. And there's a real sort of mixed element there, but this, these events that you just go, okay, so that explains some of these events. <clears throat> like my grandmother, I remember walking out, this is a strange one. I remember walking out of the house, her house, and I think it would, I would have been two or three years old. I've got memories way back, but this one was interesting. I remember walking out, it was stormy, there was lightning. And I saw two clowns dancing around the corner and I'm like, oh, clowns, right? And I, th that stuck with me forever. It drove me nuts thinking, did I imagine that? What happened? And it was only years and years later and my grandmother would have been maybe 80 something. And she said, do you remember when you went outside the house and you saw two clowns dancing? I was like, whoa, seriously? <laughs> so, that was very interesting to me because I thought, so that did happen. I did see that. You know, <laughs> I, I never worked out what the hell it meant. Right? I did do clowning for a while, much later in life. <laughs> so maybe it meant, hey, your future is as a clown. And yeah, maybe I missed it. <laughs> but yeah, those sort of, those events are interesting and shared events too. You yeah. know, like uh, where friends acknowledge something, you're like, okay, so you, you saw that too. And I think that's important in a society that pretty much uh, ridicules on a constant basis uh, anything outside of the norm, anything outside of what sells, what can be physically uh, measured. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That's why when um, people, I, I totally get being rational because looking at the other spectrum and the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of people who believe in all kinds of stuff that I'm just like, wow, you know, um, so I think there needs to be balance, but I'm not all that worried about stuff that we can't validate because there's a lot of stuff that I believe is real that we can't validate. Mm -hmm. I just have no way of knowing, but I can tell you that I know. Hmm. It's, it's that empirical sort of, if someone's experienced it, then something happened. I cannot yeah. turn around and say, well, that did not happen because I wasn't there. I didn't experience it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. there's, there's a lot of that and it seems to be sold as a uh, as rationality as um being 
uh, logical and all these things are sold as this is a good thing but it actually denies a lot of the experiences people have it denies a lot of events that happen where there is evidence and we just pile it away somewhere and ignore it because it's too hard to explain but i do think you still see or we still see too people who just really want to believe so bad that somebody tells them something i just put somebody who said something like um she talked to a psychic the psychic told her that her relationship was really bad and that if she wanted her to stop it, then she would just have to pay her, you know, some money and, and she would take care of it for you. I'm like, girl, you can scam. You know, there is like this thing of discernment. You gotta be able to pay attention to what's real and what's not real. <laughs> Everybody's not nice and everybody in the spirit world is not nice. <laughs> so you gotta know that. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a lot of love and light and, you know, ultimately I think big picture, everything does come from love. But in this dualistic, complementary, dualistic world we live in, everything is not love and light. And I think if, if I mean, I'm not saying you got to agree with that. I'm saying this is what I think. Um, and I think if, <laughs> if you think that you're not going to get in trouble by experimenting and, you know, just going off into the spirit world and doing stuff, you know, you got to be careful. You just got to be careful. I agree with that. that. We had a discussion many years ago. I was on this uh, group that did astral projection and so on and so forth and we discussed that and someone was talking about the spirit world I said listen just because it's beyond our physical world doesn't make them like gods in a sense right. you don't have to go out and think and they're all benevolent you just approach other beings as you would approach another human being right you don't know. you've got to figure it out okay so yeah it seemed a lot of a lot of the stuff I see sold like when new age come out and I had a friend who owned a new age shop so I used to sell new age trinkets and that. And you'd be sitting there going, some of this stuff that I'm hearing people saying is some of it's self-deception, some of it is genuine, you know. And I have a real problem with uh, a stereotypical uh, uh, image of what you should be as a spiritual person. And I have these discussions in core every now and then, you know. The idea that a human can be peaceful all the time, I find hard to digest because it just doesn't seem to be in our nature. You're all very spiritual till you stub your toe into the door frame and then you just go nuts, right? So <laughs> I think to me, to try and achieve that image is to just try and change your behavior. It's not to discover anything spiritually. You may discover something, but to me, to look for that spiritual connection, you don't know what's there until you find it. You're, looking, you're on a path of discovery, not a path of, I want to be like this. I can do that tomorrow. So, yeah, I well, think, yeah. It's not about enlightenment. I think if you are that, if you're trying to achieve that whole love and light, that's all you want to be, um, you're not acknowledging your shadow side. You're not acknowledging the dark part of you, which we all have. There's a balance. There is, yeah. I, I don't, you know, light or dark or shadow or gray, whatever you want. I don't like saying black and white because I don't think it's that distinctive, but there is that. Like we all have it. We are living, breathing beings. We have emotions. We have all of these. So to sit there and say, oh, I'm just peace and love and light. And I'm not making fun of anybody, but it is denying a part of yourself. And how whole are you if you're doing that? Mm -hmm. And there's a place for all of that. You know, I mean, when the rebel comes out, you might need to blow some stuff up. Or if the, <laughs> if the creator comes out, maybe it's time to burn something new. I mean, you know, it's balance. Mm -hmm. So I, I think if I denied myself the 
any of that, I would be holding myself back. I would be holding myself back from wholeness. And, you know, I don't need to live there, but maybe I want to stick my toe in or maybe I want to visit or linger, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think to me, that's part of having a full experience. And that's why um, if somebody says, if you do X, it's going to hurt you. I'm not necessarily going to say no. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to hurt anybody else, but I, if if it means that I'm going to get to the other side more whole and and richer and fuller and stronger, I'm probably going to say yes. I mean, look, see this? That's the acupun That's what the acupuncture does. I look like domestic violence, right? Rude. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I, went to, I did that yesterday, my acupuncturist. And Is that like a nine-inch nail? Well, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and I thought I was going to have an out-of-body experience. It hurt so bad. So mm. what happened is, I know, crazy. Um, I, I thought maybe I dislocated my shoulder or frozen shoulder, something like that. And I, I'm on the table. I am screaming. I'm crying. And I, I, like I said, I thought I was going to have an out-of-body experience. I thought I was going to throw up. It hurt so bad. But I knew that when he got done, I was going to feel really good. I got 90% range of motion walking out. Hmm. So that's what I mean. You know, I'll do it if it means that I'm going to feel better after. <laughs> <laughs> that's very similar to, oh, sorry, Sheree. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just, that just reminded me of some of those initi initiation riots yeah. and passages in shamanism, especially in South America, where they had each day there's, I love that I'd sit there smoking cigarettes, but there was a lot of cigarettes in this documentary I saw and a lot of taking different kinds of hallucinogenic things and other stuff. And I'm like, whoa, man, like that's serious stuff, right? But yeah. it's to get to the end result. Yeah. Yeah. Sheree, you're going to say something? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I almost lost my train of thought because I was like getting sucked into your... <laughs> Tell me more. But um, no, so it, it's one of those things, um, traveling back to what Laura was saying and what you were saying too. Um, when we try to do this whole love and light thing, especially like if you're trying to attain guru and I say this with quotations, um, status, uh, it, if you don't acknowledge those things too, and you're leading these people to believe that that's what you're supposed to achieve. It sucks when you see that what their shadow side actually is where you have, um, the, the, uh, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but like, the, the leaders who are either gatekeepers or the ones that are sexually assaulting their followers or, you know, there's like a lot of that and that's not love and light. And that's, you know, and I wonder ugh, if you were acknowledging that you have needs and things like that, you wouldn't abuse your privilege, your rights or not rights, but your position and your privilege. Yeah. And when you're leading people. And then it makes you look like you're falling so much harder too, because someone's always looking for you to do this. If you were trying to, you know, portray this perfect, uh, this perfect image of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We were in a um, moon circle one day and as we we're going around, we're not supposed to, what stays in, what's said in moon circle stays in moon circle. So I'm going to keep it super general, but <laughs> somebody said, as we were sharing, um, they were sharing kind of a dark story and um and she said and i am that and i got it because what that said to me was she was acknowledging that whatever it is all things in the world i am that i am the prostitute the murderer the lover 
the teacher, the healer, the, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I could never do whatever, because that's a place of self-righteousness. And, and it's putting me, making me separate from you. It's making me separate from myself. And I thought, you know, I, I, that's something that I would say, but to hear it coming out of somebody else's mouth was so powerful to me. And I really needed to witness that because it was a validation of how powerful it is to stand in your light and your shadow. You know, it, and it's so compassionate to look at somebody, the homeless person on the street and say, I am that. I mean, not in this moment, but I am that. I am you. You know, we are one. So it's not just you're a sentient being and you're powerful in your own right, but I am you. And I think we need to be reminded of things like that. Like for me, it's going out at night and looking at the sky that's just totally lit up with stars and you're just like, oh my God. And, and on one hand, it's like so humbling to be like, oh, I'm so small and I'm so puny and, you know, my light's going to be out in a second. But then another to think, to look up and be like, oh, my God, I am that, you know, it's, it's also really expansive and exciting, too. And so if I get in my pity party, I'm just like, OK, cut that out. Look up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get a reality check here. <laughs> that's that's an interesting uh thinking something similar in terms of uh, being a part of the entire process of life. Yeah. And a lot of people miss that and they worry about it. I don't understand it and I'm, I haven't come close to death yet, but a lot of people worry about the death side of life. It's like, dude, you can't avoid it. We didn't evolve to last. That, that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> but that sort of part of the process is a definitive beginning and an ending for me. There might be something else afterwards. There might have been something before. But acknowledging that that's a part of the process of life that I'm a participant in. Is, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people miss that. They seem to try and we try to extend the life of people. Probably people with money will get those opportunities. <laughs> but you sit there going, why do you want to do that? I mean, there's a reason for this. Yeah. Okay, so there's an ending. I mean, in the uh, Egyptians, I rest, read that the Egyptians called it westening or westing, like going off to the Western world or some things. So they never really saw it as an ending, mm -hmm. but they acknowledged it was there. And guess being human, they probably didn't. You, everybody wants a natural death, right? You don't want to go unnaturally, and you want it to be peaceful and as painless as possible. <laughs> That may not happen, but when this coronavirus hit, I remember saying to my parents in England, I have two lots of parents, I said, listen, I said, I may get it, I may survive it, I may not, but that's fine. That's just the way things are going to be. You know, we didn't evolve to last, so that's the way it yeah. happens. And I'm more at peace with that sort of aspect. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me. Everyday people are just inculcated into this certain belief that this is the world and this is it and you have to live as long as you want uh, as you can and there's no learnings in that there's nothing there's no looking outside there's no existential questions it's just how can i get the car that's better than my neighbors you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i am that and being a participant in life rather than this is me and that's life yeah i wouldn't want to live forever because you know there is a, what would you call it, a, a lifespan to the body <laughs> and the experience. <laughs> and it's kind of like, kind of like life, actually. So, you know, I like what I'm doing, but eventually I want to do something else. 
and mm-hmm. I like where I am, but eventually I want to be somewhere else. And if there's reincarnation, it gives me an opportunity to do that. So I get to trade into a different model, different gender, different place in the world, you know. And to me, I- I'm all about adventure. So that's just adventurous to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see, I don't know if I want to live long. Like I, I just <laughs> like I still want to be able to move around on my own, have my own faculties. And I think once that's once that starts to go, like I mean, I feel like I've lived a great life. So if I do die tomorrow, I'm okay. Like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, you know, be terribly upset. And and I hope nobody's upset for me. Like I hope <laughs> like I hope it's a great, you know, funeral that, you know she jumped off that cliff and that's what happens. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, cause I'm always, I, I like adventure too. And I like learning things and I like, and I know, I, I hope that continues. Like I hope, yeah. um, you know, whatever life or whatever happens next, that that's always going to be available for me. This might sound whack, but I think, so I didn't used to always feel this way, but as I get older, I think that if I, I don't want this, I'm not claiming this, but if I were to lose my mental faculties, if I were to become infirm, I think that would be an interesting adventure too. Um, if I'm born in the next life as a murder or something, I think that would be an interesting adventure too. And I, I mean, right, you, you don't want, you don't want that. But because there's, I mean, you know, nobody wants to be the murderer, right? The bad guy. But the opposite side of that, though, I mean, there's teachings in that. So I I have a friend who's a murderer. I didn't know this for a long time. He didn't tell me until we were really, really good friends. And when he told me, I was in shock. Because you think of that being, like, one of the worst things in the world that a person could ever do. I think child abuse is worse but it's it's one of the worst things you could ever do. And this is not the face that I had of him. And I, I it was such a humbling experience, one that he would confide in me that that was his history um, because of the trust. And two, it gave me another picture of what that looks like. I mean, hopefully if he's not like a mass murder on a killing spree, it's one moment in time based on one decision based on, or a series of crazy decisions. And I could still see his humanity. And he's a really good person. You know, he helps animals and old people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think when we think about these titles, we got to think about that because he really is more than that. And it it helps me to expand the way that I I look at people and humanity. And, you know, you really do have to see the whole is what I'm saying. And I think, too, for for the soul's experience, you know, the people that were involved in that, the families, the person whose life we took, all of that was, everybody in that has a price to, to or, a, or a piece to play. And let's say that for my soul's evolution, I needed to experience that grief or that loss. Somebody's got to help me to have that. So to me, it looks like a really, it's a sacrifice. It's a gift for me to have that experience. You can't have it if there's no bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it'd be labeled a murderer, but maybe a soldier would be labeled a hero. I mean, what's the difference, right? Yeah. It's just a case of who's backing who yeah. and in what perspective we're going to look at that scenario or that person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, nothing unnatural, is it? I mean, you look at humans in the past, there's, there's been murders. It was a natural part of life. And there's some things we won't bring forward. I remember someone saying, well, if we look 
in the past that some people say, oh, we had these, these moles and this is what we used to do. He said, yeah, but we also used to rape and murder. Right. We really want to bring those things forward with us. Okay. So we tried, <laughs> obviously not the rape and the murder. We try to say, well, we, it's against the law, but it's, our law doesn't stop it happening. Right. And it's, uh, it reminds me of those, those tribes in the Amazon they filmed for a while in their anthropological study where they split into two groups and then one group run down and hit the others with I know, some kind of machete or axe and you're like, my God, you know, it's, it's down to this. Whatever's happened has come down to this and the solution was murder. The only problem I got, well, I got a problem with murder, but the biggest problem I got with it, other than the animal side, being a vegan and all, is that as we're not socially advancing, we're technologically advancing and our weapons are much more dangerous now. Yeah. And I think in the recent events, which I've been watching in Minneapolis and around America, I watch NBC Live and um, all that all morning, I'm just watching this, is that the response, the government response instantly is to send more arms and armed people in to fix it. And I'm like, wasn't yeah. that the problem in the first place? That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Total lunacy. So, Hmm. The escalation, and I mean, that's you got uh, someone once said you've got leaders who are very comfortable to be sitting on the precipice of total devastation. Well, they're so far removed; they don't, they're not looking in the eyes of the, the people on the ground floor here. They, there's, there's no connection. They're so, and that's the part with war today, right? It's right. we have these weapons where we don't have to look the person in the face anymore when we're killing them or they're killing us, like it's, it's a disconnect, like a very big disconnect. And that's an important point I think you made there too, that I was, I was reading an article about these drone fighter jet things that will fly with jets and carry out the most dangerous missions. And everyone's going, oh, wow, isn't this like cool, like artificial intelligence and that. I said, this is all very cool, yes, except it's there to kill us. Yeah. You're missing the point, okay? And we spend a lot of money and a lot of effort in learning to kill us or people like us somewhere else yeah. <laughs> you're like when will this madness stop when will it stop and that's what i think an, an animist point of view or an animist philosophy of life would remove most of those problems because everything becomes yeah it has its own beingness you're affecting everything now you take that into consideration you know when i walk down the hallway i take into consideration that well, for me, my house has kind of a spirit too. And that's taken into consideration as I walk down the hall and like, she's got a name. I'm not going to say it. She's got a name. <laughs> <like that. laughs> but, and when I sit outside, to me, just having that sunlight hit the garden and that event has its own beingness. And then you begin to realize how miraculous this is. Yes. That life on this planet, if we were the only life in the universe, we're crazy to try and extinguish it for any stupid egotistical reason. Right. But when you see that and you realize what that is and you go, my God, this is absolutely amazing. What I'm going through now is amazing. It's, it overrides the concept of death, of what's going to happen to me later as I become a part of whatever's next. You know, it overrides a lot of these, uh, what we call, well, I guess, egotistical pettiness among leaders. Mm. I mean, like, he said that, I said this, I think we should. It's like watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta, which I hate to admit. Okay, so I watch it. <laughs> and, I love that. That's it. I'm a Kenya Moore fan, <laughs> Team Kenya. But I, 
you just see as they get to these levels, there's these little petty, petty things that blow out of all, you know, and if they just sat back and said, wow, check this out, man. I'm like sitting here and it lands at a table with these people, the lights bouncing off, the birds are flying. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. That, that just changes everything. I think Corona has helped and maybe, maybe um, it's wishful thinking, but I think I see, I know I see more people with chickens because, you know, we had that egg shortage and people's like, oh, where am I going to get my eggs? I got to get my chickens. Um, so there's a lot of people with chickens. And if they're processing chickens for meat, then, you know, that gets you closer to what does this mean? You can't just go out into the grocery store and pick up a chicken. You got to actually kill it. And you have to yeah. watch its life force leave. And that is not an easy thing to do. I mean, we think, oh, you know, I'll step on this bug, no big deal. You start killing mammals and it gets real personal real quick, you know, or if you, whatever kind of food you're getting, it gets real personal. And if I'm seeing more people too at farmer's markets because they just don't have the stuff that they had at the store. So you gotta go somewhere and it makes them closer to their food. It makes them closer to the grower. And I'm seeing real differences in that. And, sure. and people's response to food and like, oh my God, this is precious. It is precious. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about that, like with, um, and I'm not saying Corona's cool and all, uh, but watching so many people go back to gardening, like seeds yeah. are sold out in all the stores. When does that ever happen? Plants, like all the plants that were delivered are gone. And I was reading this article and I wish um, I remembered what it was so I could credit whoever wrote it. But um, they were talking about how gardening is ancestral it's going back to our ancestors roots this is so it's comfort for us so in the beginning it wasn't necessarily about food shortages and um the supply the food supply being cut off it was this was our ancestral comfort like our ancestors were gardeners and so we were going back to that and i love that like it really resonated with me because i have a lot of people i was getting a lot of questions from a lot of people because i post my photos all the time with my plants and everything like that and they're like hey how do i do this what do i do this and then i, I was like there's so many of you and then some of them i'm like i don't know if i would trust you with a plant <laughs> i get it like i totally get that going back to home like it feels like home even though they didn't know what it was they're talking you know they're like oh yeah and now they're like showing off their little plant babies and whatever they're growing and i'm like i'm loving all of it (laughs) it's interesting the change is like well i made my first sourdough for a long time the other day (laughs) (laughs) and you're sitting there babying this little starter like oh the little yeasts and you're like oh it's it's probably getting too warm but i got I put it in the fridge, but I have to, and it's like this little baby. Because you know anything you do is going to change the way it behaves. And yeah. You lose yeah. Starter. But you're right. We had the similar thing. We had the seeds. It, it's crazy that we have a worldwide event that's kind of serious, and the first thing people worry about is what they're going to wipe their backsides with. I mean, they just <laughs> emptied the toilet rolls. I'm like, seriously? You can't Did you guys have that issue too? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. We've got plenty of toilet roll. I mean, we've only got... 23, 24 million people in the country. We've got plenty of toilet roll. But everybody grabbed toilet roll. And I'm like, okay, so I'll order mine from eBay. And I actually found a toilet roll I like better. So <laughs> I think I keep ordering from eBay. But I remember then saying to Canwell, my wife, I was like, okay, so I'm going to, I think we looked at a pizza base in the supermarket. And I'm like, why is the ingredients starting with X and Z in this thing? I'm like, what's that? So you know what? I'll just make one. So I go to get the flour. Of course, you look on the shelf and go, where'd all the flour go? When did everybody suddenly become bakers? Yeah. <laughs> no yeast, no flour. No. Isn't that so, crazy? 
It's mad. I don't understand that. I, I don't understand their logic either because that the first thing I didn't think when I heard pandemic, the first thing I didn't think of was I need to go get toilet roll and then I need to get flour and yeast. <laughs> I don't understand that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a bread eater, so I don't know. It doesn't affect me I, and I don't get it either. I, I, you know, somebody who's never baked a bread, a loaf or a loaf of bread in your life and you're, that's what you're doing. Right. All right. Not, not one of the simplest things to start with. <laughs> no. It's interesting you bring that up. I started baking. So I made my, uh, I think I did the pizza dough first. And it turned out pretty okay. Like I'm like thick crust. Like, oh yeah. So then I made these uh, cinnamon scrolls and they turned out really okay. You go, what? I start baking right. Yeah. And I'm knocking out breads and that and going, this ain't hard. Why, why are we buying this crap? So this is actually quite easy to do. Then I find out from my bio father, so like two fathers, two mums, he says, oh, your great, no, your grandfather and your great grandfather were master bakers. I'm like, seriously? Oh, wow. now tell me? I'm what? like, you know, this was my calling and I've missed out like <laughs> 50 years, I didn't know. And it just turns out I can seem to bake stuff and pull it off. It doesn't seem to be a, wow. an issue to me. Yeah, I was like, hey, kind of oh. handy right now. But now I'm not buying bread at all. I'm like, I prefer what I'm baking. But that, that sort of genetic thing that passes mm -hmm. on, the interesting thing actually speaking of animism and um, the, the process of life and so on, I grew up in a family where, uh, so I've got my biological mother and then I've got my dad and then overseas I've got my bio father and my, my mum over there. Now I never knew my father until 2014 when he contacted me via messenger, okay, on Facebook. So I never knew him. I think he left when I was one. There's a hell of a lot gone on in that history. But I grew up thinking in a lot of ways I was individual. Okay. So my view, my animism and all this thing, well, that probably mostly come from my mother, but I was very much an individual. I was different to the rest of the family. I built myself up. I was into Jungian psychology and various things. I was completely opposite to them in a lot of ways. And then in 2014, uh, my biofab and I start talking, and my God, it, it down to the sort of pastimes I chose. Like he plays tennis endlessly. As a kid, I would play tennis after school, before school, on weekends, nonstop. Almost like the Michael Jordan of tennis. I just did not stop. Right. And then uh, the way I look at the world, he does the same thing. The way I approach things, and I, after a while, you suddenly go, "Hold on, it's 90." percent of my behaviors from you genetically mm -hmm. and has he gone into the past to the ancestor of baking and that and he said again so how does this play into how the world works there can we what could we breed animism into the human race is it something that mm -hmm. i don't bring up um what do you call it selective breeding because we had issues with that in the past right <laughs> quite a bit <laughs> but it's like is this something that is also genetic, does it pass on? Uh, are there uh, peoples who have more animism because it's in the genes to be, over time, they've become more animist? <laughs> so, is it, sorry, Carrie. Um, no, I love that, because for me, I, I, I think there are ancestral connections that do pass on. I do too. Um, because, and uh, you know, a lot of it's not, absolutely learned behavior 
some of it is genetically in us. Um, and I also think that our ancestors are always speaking to us as well. I think there are certain, so I think it depends on how far removed you are from respecting that culture, because I think there are families that have just moved so far away from animus practices that the the voices are a little bit quieter for, from their ancestors and stuff. So I think, I think everybody has it in their background somewhere. I mean, if we think about it, you know, for, you know, the cradle of life, we all came from the same place somewhere way back in the day. So we all have it in us. It's just how far away we got from it and how some of us are still close enough to it. But then also I'm seeing a lot of people returning back to it as well. Like it's, it's feeling natural. They're opening their hearts. They're listening. Times like this happening is, uh, you know, is helping them get back to that point of listening to an answer. And this is my humble opinion. So <laughs> I agree with that, but I also agree that let's say that I, uh, I'm a New Yorker. I've never been in nature before. I think I could, as that person have a real strong connection too, and just, you know, not know why, because I think, uh, you know, I've had spirit contact with energies. I'm like, I don't know who that was. You don't look like what you should look like. And then later on you find out, oh my God, you know, you make the connection and it just doesn't mean anything to you at the time because you don't have the context. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes, I, I mean, I'm talking like way back. Like I know what my genetic um, history is because my dad's a, a genealogist. So I know like my recent meaning like last 500 years is plus the ancient. And I've had some people that I believe are like ancient, like 10,000, 40,000 years ago come to me and I'm like, I don't know who you are. Why are you talking to me? You know, and it has to be from that time period. And those people don't look like what they look like today. So you're like, oh no, you can't be that. But then you find out later, oh, that's not what they look like. You know, oh, that's not what they dress like. Um, Cause it's just a different time period. Right. Plus our mental perception of what we think they are supposed to look like because of television and, yeah. and, you know, movies and things like that. You know, we think that all Vikings were white and, <laughs> and blue eyed and, and they weren't. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think I heard it was only 8,000 years ago that, um, pale skin came into being. That's not a long time at all. <laughs> That's not a long yeah. time at all. That's a very interesting concept. I, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if I posted the article to the Pan Society or not, uh, about the first Britons were actually people of color. Mm -hmm. Between uh, brown to very dark skin with blue eyes. And you said, hey, that's kind of cool, right? But <laughs> then over time, uh, there's an evolutionary change to absorb more vitamin D. Now, I've lived in the Northern Hemisphere in England, and I just remember, I think, I, I think there was sun at some point. <laughs> Because now I live in Australia, it's like, wow, it's like 23 degrees and I'm cold. <laughs> my friends are like, what? We'd be out in shorts and t-shirt. Like, man, you're kidding me. But, and it's just, and if we look at it as an evolutionary adaptation, how does that then become a point of difference where we consider that we're better than other people? What, how does that work? And not just our society is like, I work in IT, so we have a lot of people from India and the Philippines and that working with us. And there's even in Indian society, there's people putting paler skin as better than darker skin on, on that sort of metric. And uh, South America, similar thing. I remember being in Mexico and it just blew me away. This is one scene. I was in um, Querétaro 
and we were in the uh, Fiesta Americana Hotel. We had breakfast, right? Best breakfast buffet in the world, I swear. And these two, uh, well, this whole Mexican family appears with lots of kids, and there's these two women done up to the nines, hair everywhere, high heels, very much, hey, look who we are, okay? We've got money or something, whatever it is. I was just sitting back and observing this, right? And they're walking in and out, in and out of the doors of this like restaurant. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we know who you are, sit down. Like Australia, or like, come on, chill out, man, just sit down and just get over it. But anyway, they're doing all this sort of behavior and I'm like, okay, so they come for money. And then suddenly it was like they disappeared. And I said to my wife, what happened there? They're just sitting down and it's all quiet. And this older woman turns up with, a, I don't know if it's a son, a bodyguard. She was much older. She looked very Spanish, white as, and she comes in and it's like, wow, this is what I was told when I arrived in Mexico and spoke to Mexicans, they're this strata in society. And literally, these women, their behavior changed as soon as she appeared. She was obviously on the top of society and on our city hierarchies that we have. I'm an anarchist, so I believe in the hierarchy. But, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, my God, did you see how that changed? I said, yeah, I said, there's two things. Either she's like socio, socially, she's high on the pedestal and the behavior changes, or she's the mother of some drug cartel boss and everybody's going <laughs> to just be quiet. But it's interesting the world over has this pale skin thing. And I had an, uh, I wish I could find this article where someone did some research on the Egyptian freezes within the pyramids and so on. And I remember I, I did some study when I was going to do a talk on color because I like color, as you can see with the stuff I'm wearing and so on. I, I looked into the color of Egypt and they had uh, certain colors to represent certain people. So sort of African was the uh, painted black people, the Asiatics, as they call them, were more yellow, and then it was the brown Egyptians. But there was never a white person in there. Apparently, the white people you see was from vandalism to put us in there much later when those freezes oh, wow. were found. Wow, seriously? Yeah, that's crazy. And I've never found the article since. I've got to look for it again. But I was reading it, I was like, you're kidding me. So we literally put ourselves in there, I say ourselves, because obviously I'm white, and put ourselves in history. Hey, we were in Egypt. No, we weren't. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that, that vandalism of those artifacts or those antiquities just to, uh, you know, rewrite history, which mm -hmm. I guess is what is very much known of where we've come from for your rewriting history. Yeah. You know? Wow. Well, it's been really cool catching up with you guys and talking to you. Um, we ought to do it again. Yeah, yes. that'd be cool. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm up. I'm usually up at 20 past four in the morning. So, yeah, five's all right for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, all the listeners, for joining us. You know where to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're everywhere. And we'd love for you to join the conversation, too. Hope to see you on Pan Society soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Yeah.